Welcome to True Story, the public relations podcast, a space where we get a peek behind the scenes of brands and businesses that have a real story to tell. Because in today's world, we are done with perfect and fake. We want to support brands that aren't afraid to show their true colors. I'm your host, Whitney Lee, the founder of True Story PR, an agency focused on helping businesses show up authentically through their social media, PR, and more. We pride ourselves on always keeping it real. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hey everyone, welcome back. I am so excited for today's interview. I have been following Allie Wolanski for a long time on her Substack, and I love reading all of her stuff. And um, I reached out and she agreed to spend some time with us today on the podcast, y'all. So Allie Wolanski is an incredible freelance food writer. In 2022, she was Muckrack's number one food writer. She writes for all the big boys. Um, and we're going to have a great conversation today. So welcome to the show, Allie. Thanks so much for having me. Yes. Thank you for taking time to be here. I, I love reading your stuff. I feel like I'm meeting a celebrity right now. Oh my gosh. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and what an amazing job. Right before we hit a record y'all, I was telling her, like, I feel like she's the modern day Carrie from sex in the city. Like, Drinking all the fabulous martinis. Um, I, I see your dirty martinis too. Yes, yes. Dirty martinis are my thing. But honestly, I spread the wealth. I've been really into porn star martinis lately. I think they're about to have their moments in America. Wait, um, what is a porn star martini? It's kind of like a Cosmo with more personality. It has like passion fruit liqueur and like a Prosecco floater or maybe it's champagne, not Prosecco, a little bit of vanilla. Um, I discovered it when I was in London a few months ago. And then I found out it's everywhere all over Europe. And for some reason, it's not really a thing in America so far. But I think it's growing. Oh, my gosh. So I used to bartend back in the day, like in grad school. I bartended and I'm like, how have I never heard of this? Like, it's yeah, it's really strange. It's very much a European thing, and it's picking up a little bit of like, you know, gusto in America now. But if you go into a, a good bar, they know how to make it. Okay, game on. Yeah, but that what? espresso martini. Yeah, I love the whole martini family, but predominantly I'm an extra dirty vodka martini girl. <laughs> Hell yes. Well, okay. I would love to hear like a little bit about your backstory. I know there are so many aspiring journalists out there that like they, you are living the dream, like you are living their dream. So maybe if you don't mind, share a little bit of backstory of like, how did you get here? Like what, how did you, you know, like freelance journalism and rock in the scene? It was a little bit of a trajectory. I was a journalism major in college. And then after college, I started working basically as like a copy editor and proofreader at like this children's publishing house. And they ended up laying off like half the company like two years later. So I decided to be a freelance writer, which I didn't even know was called freelance writer until I got my next quote real job. And so I pitched the places that I like to read like articles. So I pitched a couple of online like beauty and style outlets. And I was a beauty writer for a couple of years. And of course, being a beauty writer transcends into being a spa writer because the best thing about beauty is going and getting facials and massages. And spas led to travel because you travel to go to spas. And then that's how I ended up in food. <laughs> now that's mostly my beat, but I still do a little bit of everything because you have to in this world. I love it. So do you have like a dedicated relationship with certain outlets or everything you write? You're just like straight up, you conceptualize and pitch them. 
Um, I like to call it anger clients, but basically there's a couple of outlets that I know I'm going to get a couple of stories from them a week or a month. And that outlet over the years has changed. Like it might be a these three outlets today, but a different one like six months from now. But I do have ongoing relationships with editors that like they know the type of things they like me to write for them and they'll reach out with assignments. But I pitch my butt off. <laughs> and I, yes. I think that we focus as PR professionals, we focus so much on pitching you that we sometimes forget that like you're pitching too. So like mm-hmm. you're turning and get, around and selling this to somebody else. Yeah. And we go through the same thing publicists go through where we email editors and pitch them and they may or may not respond. And like our hands are tied and I'm like, should we follow up? Should we not follow up? What's the right thing to do? And should I pitch it somewhere else? Because they might be wait- answering me. So it's something we always all go through. Basically, our jobs are pretty similar. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and like we... You know, everybody, all all PR people try to like think of or systemize pitching, right? Like this is the best day to pitch. This is the best way to write a pitch. But I really think that like part of the game is like really getting to know the writer that you're dealing with and what tickles their fancy, you know, because like I don't think there's a there are wrong things to do when pitching in general. But for the most part, like I think it's really like finding out what makes you tick. Relationships are so important. That's why I try to develop relationships with people just so we know how each other work and what each other are looking for. I did a happy hour in New York last winter for all my Substack followers in the area and like 300 people came. And it was so fun because like I obviously didn't have time to have like an extensive conversation with everyone when there were so many people there. But I got to like put a face to a name and give people a hug and have a cocktail with some people and take selfies. And it just made it like... It wasn't names in an inbox, but it was a person. And I feel like that's sometimes lost in our industry. Oh, 100%. And obviously, like, you're on to something with this happy hour idea. Like, imagine if you, okay, I'm, like, thinking out loud here. I'm always thinking of, like, ways to monetize things. I'm, like, you could easily, like, develop a relationship. If you probably already have some of these with, like, restaurant groups and then say, like, hey, I'm going to bring a happy hour to each one of your restaurant groups. I'm bringing 300 people. And, oh, yeah. like, that well, they'll try probably to- pay you a partnership. Yeah, I mean, I try to on a small that I didn't expect to blow up the way it did. But like when I, you know, I go on a lot of press trips. And so when I'm in a city, I will post on like my Substack or my Instagram, like, hi, I'm going to be at this bar for the next hour. Stop by if you want to say hi. And sometimes four people show up. Sometimes 40 people show up. It's like the level of and I hate using this word, but like the level of influence. You well, know? I mean, also, it's like I usually I feel bad because, you know, when you're on a press trip, you might have three free hours of time and all these people want to meet for like a coffee or a drink and you don't have time. You want to, but you're scheduled. But if you take like, you know, that hour of free time you do and maximize it, then you're not disappointing people and you could see as many people as possible. And I've made a lot of good friends that way. You're totally on to something here with this like <laughs> with these happy hours. It could like literally become like a little club or something. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, it kind of is that, but more it's just like trying to see everyone I could see with whatever limited time I have, but also on a smaller scale, because I can't have a happy hour with everyone. Like, you know, I, during the pandemic, when no one was leaving their apartments, I was like cooking live on my Instagram every day because I was lonely. I was isolating by myself. So that way I could have friends to have dinner with. So if somebody like, you know, every writer has their preference, right? Um, what would be your preference if somebody has an idea or a topic, like 
What's the best way? I know you do your Substack, um, and and that's an incredible way to see what you're working on and kind of like give you pitches that you're actually like looking for specific, you know, but if they've got an, another angle and they just want to reach out to you, what do you have any like words of advice of what you prefer? I mean, straight up an email is always fine. I do tell people not to pitch me via social media, not because it's invasive or anything, although at times it has been, but because I like to have all my pitches in one place. Because if you're pitching me hot pink martini glasses inspired by barbecue, I may not be working on that right now. But then fast forward to yep. six months from now, I'm doing a Valentine's Day gift guide and all of a sudden pink martini glasses are a great idea. So I go to my inbox, I search in my Gmail search box, pink martini glasses. Your pitch from months ago is there, even though I wasn't working on that story at the time. So I think the best that you could do is be very descriptive about what it is you're pitching. And then like, it doesn't, if there's no immediate use, it doesn't mean that it's over. It's a journey, not a sprint. That's to be hoping. Right. And we tell clients that all the time, you know, sometimes they want to see immediate results from PR. And I say like, that's not the, that's not the benchmarks that you look for. Like we're not going to pitch somebody and have 27 stories overnight. It's a lot of cultivating the relationship. And like when, when the opportunity hits, our idea is already in front of you. So it's like, Absolutely. it's telling it clients to be patient. Mm -hmm. And it stays on your mind. Like I was on a press trip over a year ago and at one of the restaurants I went to, I had a caviar baked potato that I loved and it stayed in my mind. Fast forward a year, I get an assignment on basically a gallery of, you know, inventive dishes using caviar. And I reached out to that publicist and I asked for like an image of that potato so I could include it. So everything that we experience, whether it's a pitch or a press trip or a dinner or an event, it stays with us. And Ultimately, it could be used just because it's in our minds. Absolutely. Okay. So uh, we, my agency specifically works with a lot of hospitality. So we are pitching a lot, but we have some product based clients as well. And I know in like the product space, when you're pitching, um, a lot of people are looking for affiliate links and that's how these media outlets are monetizing stuff. Right. But food is different. Mm -hmm. So like, is there any little level? I mean, it's not like you, I guess you could include an affiliate link to make a reservation or something like that, but that just seems, it's not the same as like buying a product and they get a kickback. So like, is there any, anything like that happening in the food space? Like how are these places, I guess, monetizing your writing? I mean, it depends on the type of food you're talking about. Like if we're talking about like wine bottles or whatever, those are on like mini bar or drizzly. They do have affiliate links. But a lot of the outlets I write fat for, they don't require an affiliate link to include. And I actually prefer that because at the end of the day, if I'm going to do a roundup of olive oils or truffle salts or whatever the food product is, I want to be able to write about the best ones, not the ones that happen to be on one affiliate network or have a special like partnership deal with the publisher. I don't benefit in any way if they use an affiliate link at all. I don't yeah. care. I don't benefit. But I am an old school journalist. I want to choose the best products and help the reader. I don't want to just make, you know, someone's pockets deeper, especially since it won't be mine. <laughs> exactly. And y'all can't see, but I'm over here literally like raising my hands in the air, like preach, preach on, preach. Because, <laughs> you know, a lot of people in PR, like the topic is, is that like true editorial coverage is dying because these media outlets, they used to make their money off of, you know, ads and things like that. But a lot of magazines now are going fully digital. And the only way that they're monetizing 
is affiliate links. But then I think what's happening is that like there's like this lack of trust now with mm -hmm. the readers when it comes because we see through that. Like, you know, I'm not going to like mention a specific outlet or anything, but like the top five you know, cold brews for summer, like those are probably paid placements now. And, and I know when I click those links that like they're getting a kickback. So I, I don't, it's like, I, I really don't even trust a lot of those articles anymore. Just knowing that. I mean, like a lot of articles or assignments you'll get will be like, you know, the 10 best you, um, shoes on Amazon for your next getaway. And you know, it's going to be the Amazon bestsellers or the top rated Amazon. And that's fine. Like I get it. But at the end of the day, I want someone to be sitting there and trying on those shoes and wearing them when they travel. And then if they happen to be 10 pairs of shoes from Amazon, I'm fine with that. But I still want them to do the legwork and the research. Authenticity, which is also why I think you know, influencers have become such a thing. And some people like their skin crawls when we talk about influencers. Um, I don't consider influencers to be journalists at all, but I do they're think that they have a place. Yeah, no, um, they're, they, they have a place in the industry because they're showing people how, you know, or they're showing people the experience at the restaurant. They're showing people the experience at the hotel. The goal is not to sell stuff. We, we have to like beat that into our clients' brains of like, Having this influencer here, the goal is not to book 37, you know, reservations at the the restaurant afterwards. It is visibility, social media growth. Like those are the benchmarks yeah. we're looking for, not just like cold, hard, like get to the point and sell something. And not everything can be in bottom line terms. Like I agree, influencers do have a purpose. I think that when we try to combine the influencer and journalist purpose, you have issues. I've been on press trips where both of us are there and it doesn't work because we just have distinct needs in our coverage. Like I might be wanting to interview your master distiller about his latest expression while an influencer will want to like take a bottle and go stand in a field for at exactly sunset and get a selfie with the bottle. And you know what? That's great for them. I hope they get a lot of likes on Instagram. But them trying to time the time to get to, into the field to take the selfie may lead me not to be able to get the interview to write the article, which is why have influencer trips, have journalist trips, but it's otherwise it's mixing oil and water. That's a really good point. I feel like you guys as writers are like more into like true education and like digging in and finding what's unique about something. Whereas influencers are like, look how delicious this is. And yeah, like, it's like, yeah, I feel like influencers and I don't want to generalize because there's some very talented influencers who do yes, great content. But I think agreed. very often when they go to trips or events or dinner, the coverage they do is more about them experiencing it than the experiencing. So here, look at me at this hotel. Here's me in the pool. Here's me at the spa versus here is the restaurant or here is the spa. It becomes about them, not about the place or the, the contents. It's a really, really fabulous point. And I think that people like to see people experiencing them, something. But at the end of the day, like the influencer is the star of the show, not the actual product or service. Right. And ultimately, I think a journalist relationship serves you longer term because at the end of the day, the influencer will make their post and they will move on to the next property or restaurant or lipstick. And they'll say that's their favorite lipstick this week, even though you were their favorite lipstick last week. While a journalist, they might try your product or destination today, write about it today, but it may fit into a story for another outlet in six months and they might write about it again, too. So I think it's a longer term relationship that could have a lot more potential.
I totally agree. <laughs> um, so as a writer, I always love to ask writers this because, you know, as publicists, we are trying to make your life easier, right? Like we're trying to tee it up with all the info that you need, like super seamless, like, so what are some of your biggest challenges? Cause I think that the publicist listening out there, it's like, how do we, I love hearing your challenge. Cause I want to hear how I can help solve it. I really think, honestly, it's going to sound so basic, but keeping things simple makes things easier. First of all, meet our deadlines. <laughs> We can't add something into a story when the story is done. You can't just like you can't add cheese to a cheeseburger after you've eaten it. Um, when you can, yeah, I mean, I would say at least every day I get about a dozen emails. Saw your Negroni story go live. Can you squeeze us in? No, it's done. I wrote it already. You missed. Yeah. I've been promoting it on my newsletter for weeks. You should have pitched me. So meet my deadline. Um, when I say what I'm working on, I'm so specific about the deliverables, like that I need an image, that I need to know, you know, the name of the bar and restaurants it's at, or like a chef from the quote or whatever. Give me all the things I'm asking for, because if you don't, I got 800 other emails from people who did. And if you send me an image, it's important that like, first of all, do a Dropbox link. It's a lot easier, but also tell me your photo credits. Don't send me a panicked email at 3 a.m. the next day after it publishes being like, oh, I forgot to tell you the photo credits. Like that's important too. Yeah. Like follow the instructions, include all the important, like all the details are important. If you leave something out, it's not going to be a fit. Preach. Okay. So following the instructions, when people apply to work with my agency, like I have a specific form and if they don't listen to the questions and, and actually answer the question I ask, I immediately throw the resume out. Cause I'm just like, yeah. oh, you didn't listen. You're obviously not that, not that excited or interested in the role because like you, you didn't even answer this question. They don't pay attention. Yeah, I very often will get emails from people and they'll be like, I love your newsletter. I read it all the time. And then the next sentence, they'll be asking me a question that I've addressed at length in like 16 different newsletters. And I'm like, are they lying that they read it or they just didn't read very carefully? (laughs) Yeah, that's a very good point. I just think it's like, don't we're, we're so focused on like time is short. And so you've got two seconds. Like you said, you get 800 emails a day, people. If you want to stand out, you got to get it to the point. Make sure she has what she needs. Give your photo credits. Don't waste time, you know? Yeah. I mean, I've definitely had people who will ask for images of, let's say, a restaurant. And I'll get like a whole gallery of images when I ask for one and all the uh, images will be called like image zero zero one. I have no idea what's what. If you have 46 different kinds of sushi rolls and none of them are labeled, how am I going to know which one is the one that you're pitching me? And that's how you end up using the wrong image or how you just spend a lot of time that you don't necessarily have to sort through everything. So label things, be specific, the more clear and like concise you are, the more likely I could use what you sent me. Yeah, totally. I like one conversation that's like consistently happening in our world is all about AI. And I'm sure your (laughs) skin is probably crawling when anybody says AI. But I remember when like, okay, first of all, AI is not new, right? Like Gmail has been completing our sentences for years now. That's AI. But like all of a sudden when chat GPT became a thing, everyone all of a sudden is up in arms about AI. And like people would even ask me like, oh my God, Whitney, is your agency going to close? Are you going to lose your job? Because AI (laughs) is just like 
doing everything you do. I'm like, you can't, y'all can't see in the podcast space, but I'm rolling my eyes so hard. So, but I know it's changing the game for you guys too, as journalists, like what are you seeing in your area? I mean, I've seen in them both the PR and the writer, and I would see pictures that are clearly generated by AI, and it's literally embarrassing. AI, at the end of the day, is not original content by definition. And I know that there's publications that are using AI to some level, and that's heartbreaking because, like, why would you choose something computer generated and fake versus something real and authentic? I think. You're safest as a journalist or as a publicist, the more original you are. AI could take things that are already out there and repurpose. So your safest bet is to write things that are not already out there. And then AI cannot replace you because you're not replaceable. Yeah. And especially what you do is so experiential based that like, what is an AI, what is ChatGPT going to do? Like go to those restaurant sites and like pull some info and, and like piece together a story. I don't know how... Again, like people are obsessed with authenticity now, you know, like we're, yeah. And we're so used to AI generated photos. We don't trust any of that. We're like, uh-uh, they don't even look like that. That's a filter. No, That's exactly. a whatever. Yeah. You know? I think the people that are loving AI are the people who don't really take journalism seriously in the first place. They're just looking mm-hmm. for the easy, cheap way out. And, you know, there's a lot of people out there and a lot of businesses that feel that way. Like, look at all the fast food places that replace actual human being employees with kiosks. It's yeah. the same thing. Like, why pay a human being and give them a living wage when you could have a machine? It's it's terrible. But it, at it the is. end of the day, you cannot get the experience from a machine you get from a human being. Very true. And and I always say, like, relationships will never replace uh, it cannot be recreated by a bot or anything like relationships. Oh, are, absolutely. Are everything. There's publicists I've been working with for 20 years. And wow. maybe over the time, like they went to a different agency or they went out on their own or I worked for them with them on a different beat. But like they're in my inbox. I know them. Maybe I met them on a press trip, like in like year 2005 and like now I'm meeting up for them and drinks for New York when they're in town but it's all about relationships and the harder you try to cultivate the relationships I think the better that you do yeah oh totally so when you receive a pitch that you know like what tips you off that it was written by AI I have an idea but I want to hear what you say too I've seen very very repetitive looks almost like cliff notes I've seen the entire sentence an entire sentence repeated twice in the same paragraph. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, very obvious. It just looks very like robotic and generated. And there's also no emotion or feeling to it. Okay. And I find that like AI written text is like so overly grandiose that it's like, it's a joke. Like nobody uses some of these um, you know, they're like the the baked potato was adorned with caviar and you're like adorned on a baked potato. Like no one I mean, uses that. Like, no, I mean, you could feel free to adorn my baked potato caviar anytime you want. But yeah, it, it's like that because it's not a person and a person knows yeah. what a person does. This sounds very Dr. Seuss, but a machine just does not. And it's so obvious once you're looking for it. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I notice that the words will be way too grandiose. And also I tell people like you got to be really careful because the mind of chat GPT and all of these AI platforms only goes back like two years ago. Mm-hmm. So if you are asking or talking or referencing something that happened before, I think it's September of 2021, AI doesn't know. AI wasn't born yet. And so it doesn't know. And you know what AI does when it doesn't know? It makes shit up. It's so It makes it up. It is just so creepy. Like, I can't believe people are so into it. (laughs) I think it's a craze, honestly. Like, I think it's a craze. And then everybody's going to come back and get their sanity back and be on board. But for now, I think it's just this weird craze that everybody, it'll be old news in like six months. Oh yeah. People looking for the easy way out, whether it's computer generated content or instead of, you know, trying out lipsticks and seeing the best one, going to see the ones that the most ratings on Amazon, that's what happens. But um, ultimately the end of the day, you put more work into it. It it shows. Yeah. Um, I would love to know, do you have any like pieces that were your absolute favorite pieces? You look back and you're just like, that was the jam. Like, one of my favorite things I wrote or a topic or an experience. Um, I was I'm really into the royal family and I did a lot of writing leading up to Harry and Meghan's wedding in 2018, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was nothing was like groundbreaking in any way. I was mostly writing about like, you know, this is the cupcake that will that will be served and this is the wine. But I was actually on a press trip to the UK about a month before the wedding and I was doing a tasting at a sparkling wine vineyard like maybe a half hour from Windsor where they got married. And I happened to find out that that was going to be the wine poured at the wedding. And at that time, that was like breaking news. Like no one knew. knew. And so I like sat there at the wine tasting and I like was like texting my editor back in the US, like under the table during a tasting. I was like, I think I got really big news. And I was like, this is what I found out. And I ended up writing that story from the van like on the way back to the hotel on the press trip and breaking that story. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. You're like, I'm a sleuth, but yeah. I think that writers love that, like being the one to break some kind of news, you know? Yeah. And granted, I didn't change the world at all. It was literally what type of sparkling wine was being poured at the wedding. <laughs> but like at the time, especially since I was so obsessed with all things royal wedding, it was like as good as it got for me. Yeah, you and half the rest of the world, everybody's obsessed with that. Just like interested at at what's going to happen and all the details. Yeah, that's why I know a lot of people when they go on press trips, they try to treat it as a vacation and I get it. But I always I'm like, my computer is with me and I'm like looking, I'm like, what could I possibly write about? And ultimately, that story had nothing to do with that press trip. I guess tangentially, I was at a vineyard as part of the press trip. But it was a story that came out of that press trip anyway. Yeah. And I, well, and to me, that speaks to like your professionalism. Cause we have hosted writers before that were like fully like blowing off the experience, just like slamming margaritas and like hanging out the whole time. And we, and again, you're, I never expect them to promise us any sort of coverage. I know how that, that that's not how it works. That's completely unethical. But then I'm like watching them just slam margaritas. And I'm like, is this a work trip or is this like a, 
you know, just a vacation. Right. It's about finding the balance. I mean, I won't lie to you. I would love to slam a margarita with you. But when I'm done doing that, (laughs) I will go back to my hotel room and write a story. And that's one of my, yeah, that's one of my maybe out of years of doing what I do. I am pretty good at going out for cocktails. And then go to my room and answering yeah. some emails and writing a post or scheduling the next morning Substack. So I well, do think I'm all about living in the moment on press trips and like having the yeah. cocktails and having the experiences and doing everything. But at the end of the day, it is a work trip and you have work to do. Yeah. And I like, we want them to experience it, but also like I, when I see someone with their computer or they're asking the right questions and things like that, that's when you're like, okay, this is like, they acknowledge like, yeah, you're there for the experience, but this is work. Like this is something that you're like, they should be taking notes. Absolutely. And they should be like paying attention. Like I'm always using my voice notes when I'm on a press trip, whether I'm like hearing a chef speak or I'm hearing a bartender speak, or I'm like learning about like the soul treatments done at the spa. Because when I come back, I want to be able to go back and be like, yes, I learned this. This is a good thing to pitch. Yeah. And we try to provide some of that too, just like proactively, like here are some approved images. Here are some of the highlights on the menu here or whatever, but then get you to experience it and get your take on what's your favorite or what, what did you think was the highlight, you know? Oh yeah. And I think experiential is our thing. That's why like those two years that we weren't really doing press trips, I feel like it was so much harder to be a travel writer because Mm -hmm. yeah, I could obviously write about the soil treatments at your spa without experiencing it, but going there and seeing them and trying them, the ideas come to you then because you've been there. Oh, 100%. And we are starting with a new client next week in Okeechobee, Florida, which is way down south, right in the middle of the state, like borderline, um, like Everglades area, but I've never been to the resort. So we're flying everyone that's going to work on the account. We're flying down and we're going to like see, taste, experience everything because in order for us to tell the true story, haha, wink, wink. We've got to see it ourselves. Oh, I mean, you can pull stuff off the internet, but it's different. Oh, know? absolutely. I have so many somebody... friends that will like, they'll pitch me about their spa or their restaurant and I'll be like, oh my God, how was this? And they're like, oh, I don't know. I've never tried it. And I think, you know, even if you work in a restaurant, like there's a tasting that they, the staff does of the new dishes, because how could you recommend something or know what's in it if you didn't experience it? So I think it's a really good idea to have your PR team try everything they're going to be pitching. You should try every spa treatment on that menu. (laughs) I am so down. Hello, all spas listening, please hire us and I will make sure we totally crush it for you. Absolutely. Um, (laughs) If somebody's planning a press trip, do you have any like pointers of like awesome press trips that you experienced that you were like, oh my gosh, this was so cool and unique or like any like major fails where you were like, this was a dumpster fire and like they didn't think this through. (laughs) I think a great press trip is one that does balance the, you know, experiences and the itinerary with letting you do your own, you know, exploration or giving you downtime to do work. I think that sometimes it's the impetus that They want to be good hosts and fill every moment of your time. And that's not necessary. I've had publicists reach out to me with invites and they're like, we're looking to fill two or three more spots if there's any other food or travel journalist you'd recommend. And I love that because, first of all, I think half of a great press trip is the people within the trip having a good energy and working well together. And if 
you know, people are friends already or travel well together and also obviously are, you know, have that beat and will write about it. They're not just like random people. I think that it bodes well for the trip other than it being people who don't like each other or don't travel well together. And then things are just like awkward and stilted. And you know, those moments. Um, We actually, that was one of our biggest fails. This is years ago for our client. Um, And I, basically what happened was two of the writers apparently were very competitive with each other um, or they were from competing outlets or something like that. We did not know that there was like a personal beef there. So they were both on the trip um, and they like kind of had like a blow up falling out like at the table. And both of them were like either make, they basically came to us and said, either make the other person leave or I'm leaving. And we try to like smooth it over of like, Hey, why don't we separate your activities? Like you can experience this tomorrow night. They'll experience it Friday night. And and they basically were like, F you, I'm leaving. And they both ended up leaving because we wouldn't kick the other one out. I mean, that's a little bit intense on their part. Honestly, I had an experience a few months ago that a lovely publicist emailed me and CC'd someone that used to be a friend of mine, but no longer is. And she was like, hey, Best Friends Day is coming up. I'd love to host you girls on a girlfriend staycation at my property. This is someone I haven't spoken to in over a year. It was awkward as heck. So I did the only thing I could think of. I wrote back to the publicist, like, you know, off the CC. And I was like, thank you so much for the invite. FYI, we're no longer friends. And not only do we not vacation together, we don't speak. <laughs> and I felt bad because obviously this woman was mortified because she was trying to do something nice. And so she's like, oh, let me know. Personalized. Right. Like, I mean, in the past, maybe she had seen us like on things together or interacting and she just didn't notice we don't do that anymore. And so like she was just, she wrote back and she apologized profusely. And she's like, let me know if you ever want to come with another journalist or solo or whatever. And it was fine. And I felt bad that she felt bad. But yeah, I think not making assumptions is really important because we don't know people's lives. And I also like after that moment happened, obviously I was a lot younger in my career and I like beat myself up so bad about it of like, what could I have done to prevent this? I mean, I know some of that was like just their personal beef and there was no way for me to know. And I tried to smooth it over and like separate itineraries and da, 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 da. But like, I just kept like deep soul searching of like, what, what could I have done to prevent this? And the only thing I can think of now, I'd love your two cents on this is before the press trip, letting other people know who else is on the press trip. Yeah. And Um, I do ask that sometimes. And it's mm -hmm. not basically to vet like who else is there because I'm going to blow up at them like Housewives of New Jersey style because that is crazy. Um, That's basically what happened. Yeah. I mean, more that like it's exciting to find. I have some incredible friends around the country that are also doing what I'm doing. And it's really exciting to find out I'm going to see them next week in whatever city. And so it's really good for that. But yeah, but anytime that like a publicist asks, they're like, hey, would you like want to recommend? I always do that. And I do that also for things like events. When we were doing Zoom events, I always recommended my friends because if I'm going to be doing a virtual wine tasting, it's a lot more fun if like my good friend from Florida, my good friend from LA and my good friend from Chicago, they're all on it together. It's like, you know, virtual happy hour. And I have so many great friends in the industry. Why wouldn't we want to hang out together? That's a great... um what you said originally too about like 
offering you the opportunity to suggest someone else. I don't know if I've ever done that only and because- you could say no. Yeah. I yeah. mean, obviously if I recommend someone and then you vet them and you're like, well, I don't like their outlets or like I've had an issue with them, obviously don't invite them. Yeah. But like, it might be someone who you haven't worked with yet. You're like, wait a second, they might be a great fit. Yeah. And I guess in my mind, I would never have asked a writer that because I wouldn't want it to come off as like, I'm putting it on them to fill up my press trip, like asking them to do my job for me. But from your perspective, it's like, no, I love it because I've got several great friends that also can like jump on board and, and, or they write for this or that. So like, that's really good feedback. Yeah. I mean, like I've definitely gone on trips where I know no one and made a lot of good friends because it is true. If you go on with a press trip or a press trip with a friend, you are more likely to hang out with that friend and not be as outgoing to other people. That is true. But like, I, Definitely, I would say the best press trips I've been on have been the ones where like there's not going to be some kind of awkward drama. It's like the people that you already know and love and travel well with. Well, cool. Well, honestly, like, OK, I want you to tell everybody about your Substack so they okay. if they're not already following, they can get on board. And I know that you from time to time, like do cool like spinoffs where like you were doing a holiday gift guide. I think it will mm -hmm. already have passed by the time this episode airs. But you were doing like a holiday gift guide one coming up. But you do fun stuff like that, too. So tell everybody if they want to connect with you, how to find the Substack, all the things. Sure. OK, so my Substack is Ali Wolanski at Substack. Com. It's A-L-Y-W-A-L-A-N-S-K-Y. And I send it out normally six days a week. During the summer, it's a little bit less just because people are less present. But normal times, it's six days a week. And yeah, I do Zoom Ask Me Anything events. I try to keep things fun and interesting. It's what I'm working on. It's job leads. It's recent links. And then sometimes it's just stuff like pictures of my puppies and what I made for dinner last night. So you can always find me there. I love it. And I love that it's like personal stuff too. So we actually kind of get to know you and what you like. Like I, I came into this and I'm like, she's my soul sister. I a kettle one dirty martini stuff with blue cheese olives. Like, yes. like my favorite thing in the world that with maybe like really cold oyster happy hour. Oh, okay. I could definitely get down with that. Yes, I love totally like raw good. oyster. <laughs> I love raw oyster. Game it's my on, favorite Oh my gosh, funny. And I'm sure the oysters in New York are so different than the ones that we get down on the Gulf Coast. I definitely want to try yours. I mean, obviously I've had Gulf Coast oysters. I've had them in New Orleans, but I want to have them there. So we'll work that out. <laughs> I love it. Well, this has been so amazing. And one more quick question about the Substack. Um, I know you have a free version, but then you also mm -hmm. have a paid version. Will you yes. tell everybody kind of like, what's the difference? What, what do you get when you do the paid? Sure. So the free one is my story leads. I would never, ever charge anyone to have access to pitching me. That's totally unethical. There are people who do that. I do not do that. The paid one is more industry insights and commentary. Um, that's how you get access to like the Zoom Ask Me Anything events, which are essentially like a free consulting session. And the paid is $8 a month, which honestly, it's that's cheaper than going taking someone out for coffee. And yeah. you get an extra post every single week with some kind of industry commentary. You could email me a quick question anytime. Um, you come to the Zooms. You're invited to my happy hours when I have them, whether or not you're a paid subscriber. Obviously, that's just about being friends. <laughs> 
Love it. Yeah, she was telling me all before we hit record that she did a happy hour and like 300 people showed up. Yes, yes. It was so, it was also, it was like a really cold winter rainy night and I was like, no one's going to come. And then people came. (laughs) And then everyone came. But that just goes to show like what you're writing is actually like speaking to people and it's authentic and it's cool. And like I said, like they feel like just even from reading the Substack, like they know you a little bit. And I think that's what I'm trying to do. I don't want to be preachy or condescending. I really just want everyone to like have a common ground and be a community. I think that's the most important thing we could do for each other. One, well, isn't that what food does for people too? You know, yeah. like you, you have a shared love for a dirty martini and immediately your best friends, you know? Exactly, exactly. That's my favorite way of connecting with someone, a dirty martini, a nice, yeah, a nice happy hour, whatever. <laughs> Love it. Well, y'all, thank you so much, Allie, for coming on the show. Y'all make sure to subscribe to her Substack, connect with her, follow her on social. I promise you're going to have a blast getting to know Allie if you don't already. Um, but thank you. Thank you, Allie, for taking time. I'm so grateful to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. I had so much fun. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. If you loved what you heard, please take a moment to screenshot this episode and share it to social media using hashtag TrueStoryPR or better yet, write us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you tune in. See you next time for another True Story. True Story.